I think a lot of the time I'm speaking to myself when I say that in the morning because uh, our house is never as chaotic as it is on a uh, Sunday morning. Every, everybody with kids is like, preach. <laughs> um, I had a 25-minute argument slash conversation about why it's inappropriate to wear muck veils tracks at bottoms to church this morning. And um, I'm sitting there in my jammies thinking I have to be in church in 25 minutes while I'm having this conversation. But it'll always happen. Um, but do you know what? God is with us in the messiness. And we're going to talk about that this morning. I'm going to talk about that. He's with us. And he's there. And uh, he doesn't bat an eyelid. Doesn't bat an eyelid. Um, and something I really love, when you look at the cultural context that Jesus was born into, he was born into like this Jewish family in a community. So I can guarantee you there were kids everywhere. And that's what I love about our church because I feel like it's, gonna, it's like the way life was. There were, there were kids there. There were loads of people. They were making noise. People were shouting at each other. People were telling to be quiet. There were wives and husbands giving each other the evil eye because like, you know what happened earlier. And, you know, it's real. And that's the world. We kind of sanitized Jesus and the world he grew up. They were all like, he was this like spiritual, you know, kind of you see those Buddhas in the garden centers. Um. Okay, if you have a young family, you don't get much um time, okay? But Jesus didn't grow up in that. The early church, the culture that he grew up in, it was like this. Kids made noise. People were coming and going. And even in that culture, people were really vocal. There was going to be a lot of noise. And that just encourages me because that's the type of God that um, I can relate to. So we're going to start off. um, I did a paper recently for my college on James chapter 5. So I thought when I see my name on the rota, I'll preach off that grand less thing. And then God said to me last week, no. And I went, what? And he said, no, I want you to do James 4. And I was like, but I studied James 5. And he goes, no, I want you to speak on four. And I was like, but I know James 5 really well. And he's like, read James 4. So we're reading James 4. So Malachi's going to put it up. We're going to start by reading it, and then I'll go into some explanation about it. Amen. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 
Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, I will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not, do not even know what you will do tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, that shuts you up, doesn't it? Um, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, that's quite a lot, so don't worry, I'm not going to do a test on which bit, which bit we did. Um, but I'll give you a bit of context on the scripture, right? And then we're going to look at someone called Brother Lawrence from the 17th century, right? I promise it's going to be interesting. So bear with me, yeah? Um, so that, that piece of scripture seems a bit like after Neve quite eloquently telling us it's not about rules, it's not about laws. Then I get up and read a scripture where it's like, stop doing this, do this, stop doing that, do that, whale cry, you're an awful person, get over yourself, right? Um, but I'm going to bring some context to explain. Just to clarify, there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. It's because of what he did. It is not, even if I never bitch, if I never moan, if I never step outside, if I never do anything wrong, I still need Jesus. I cannot work my way into relationship with God or to heaven. I need the Lord Jesus, okay? But I'll just explain what this author was saying. So it's from the book of James. James was, they believe, most, most likely they believe that James was the brother of Jesus, okay? So he didn't actually, he actually, it says in the scripture that his, Jesus' family actually kind of scoffed at him when he was growing up. They were like, oh, notions. Um, and it wasn't until later on that James came to realize that his, um, that his brother was actually the son of God, or his stepbrother. And he was very revered in the church. But, so he came from a very Jewish tradition. Okay? So they were, if you grew up Jewish, as Neve explained, everything's about following the law. Law, law, law. Do this or do that. This day of the week you do this. Don't leave your house without doing this. Don't eat this bread. Have this food over here. Everything separate. Every part of your life had a rule that you had to follow. And James was writing to people who were the same. So he's using their language. And he's using their way of understanding. So these were Jewish people who had come to hear about the saving love of Jesus. But they were still keeping on some of their traditions. And the Bible actually says, if you want to do that, that's okay. But for those who aren't Jewish, just be you, just be Jesus. But it's more of a cultural thing. If you've lived your whole life one way, very hard to just suddenly like, if you don't know, you, if you never had to go into your kitchen and make a decision on something, suddenly you're left with all these decisions. very overwhelming. So that's who James was writing to. And that list of scripture was written in a format that every Jewish person would have understood. They call James like Proverbs, a book of wisdom, all these statements. If you look at the scripture there, he's saying one thing, and they're not really connected. It's like I kind of vision him as someone going on a bit of a rant, <clears throat> which is very similar to how I am when I'm having an argument. 
poor Randy says one thing, and then I'm like, and about this, and then he left this out, and then he left things in the club, and I go off, and nothing I'm saying is actually connected, but I'm venting my frustration. Now, I can look, look at you, most of you are like, I'm not like this. I'm a holy Christian. I don't ever do anything like that. Especially, uh, I'm not saying it's a gender thing, but I've spoken to some people here who are wives and partners and similar things may be happening in your house, but, you know, you know we're only human. Um, a word that when I was preparing, I felt was for someone here. I'm just going to say it now. For ages, they didn't believe that James wrote that book and that letter because they said, the Greek is too good. It's written too well, literally. Like an, it's like poetry. Um, he was the son of a carpenter. It couldn't be him. And I felt that there was someone here, and I have a word that God stopped me on my tracks when I was preparing. It's for someone here this morning. Someone feels that they don't fit in in their family or their group or where they're at. But God says, stop trying to fit in. That you are like James, and that people aren't going to believe that you have this capacity within you because you're just the son of a carpenter. But God has called you to be someone and do something that will change the course of history. And not to stay in the sphere you're in, but listen and say yes to God. Don't worry about how it's going to happen. James didn't have to worry about how he was going to do the letter or how he was going to have the ability to write what God wanted him to write. He just needed to say yes to God and God would do the rest. So I just encourage you, if that's you today, it's for here for someone. I encourage you, listen to God, no one else. And he will bring, everything else will follow, but just listen. You are called to do something different than the sphere you're already in. Amen? Oh God, I pray for the heart of the people here, Lord, that whoever that was for, God, that spirit, you would speak and encourage this morning. Amen. So that was an aside, back to where we were. Um, So uh, who was he writing to? So James was writing, and what happened was, those people come to know God, it was kind of difficult but semi-deadly, everybody was excited about it, and then the Romans start killing people who became Christians. And then everybody went, I'm out of here, and they all left Jerusalem, and they all went to different places around the Mediterranean. So that was what, who these kids were, right? This is who James is writing to. He writes to these people who'd had this amazing experience. They were Jewish, but they found out that there was an aside, that they didn't have to follow all the rules, that they were loved and accepted. But then they had to leave for safety. And they went to all these communities around the Mediterranean. Now, they split up. And so he's writing to a pocket of believers, probably in modern-day Syria, who are in a new culture, who are very much the minority, who nothing around, nowhere around them looks and acts the way they do. No one is. And when we're overwhelmed and we feel like something's going on, what do we do? Now, if you look at the course of Christians in history, let's be honest, we don't always act the best. Two things happen. One, we stop paying attention to what's going on here and what God's doing, and we start looking out and pointing out everything that's wrong in the world. Now, the believers where they were in modern-day Syria could have been like, Look at them sacrificing things. Look at them uh, doing all these immoral things. Look at them. They could have been pointing out what's going on. And the other thing we do is we start fighting with each other. 
And that's what James writing to. People were getting distracted. They were looking around and they were starting getting annoyed at each other. Because in psycho- anybody who's done any psychology or counselling or anything like that, they tell you, if, there's something, if you're annoyed about something in you, to stop and ask the question, what is it in me that's getting annoyed with what's going on? So the believers were annoyed with the situation and started fighting with each other and pointing out each other. Now let's get real. We're not all going to like each other. Shock horror. This isn't a come by a campfire. I will probably annoy you. I will say something. I hopefully don't mean it. But who knows? I'm a sinner. I could mean it, right? And we could fall out. We're not all going to be best friends with everybody in our Christian community. But we still have a responsibility about how we act and how we speak and how we think. Because where does an action start? It starts in our mind. I start thinking, God, Ralph's a bit of a bore, isn't he? But then I start thinking on that top more. And then I start saying things. And then I start thinking things. And then I might be jealous of someone and I start grumbling. And I might only say it to Andy. But I'm speaking. If I'm not speaking life, what am I speaking? I'm speaking death. I'm speaking death over someone. And I'm starting to bring division into something that God has called the bride of Christ. So that's what James is writing to. Now, we can go through that, and there's a way of reading scripture where you go through every single line, right? So if we did this, it's more suitable to a Bible study if I sat down and we went through each of the 17 verses one by one and we tore it apart and we said, what are they doing and what's the context and stuff, right? Now that's legitimate, but I think it's a Sunday morning, it's been a long week, I'd understand if you had a little snooze, I wouldn't hold it against you. But that is a way of doing scripture and it's very good, right? And there's a place for it. But we're going to do something a bit different this morning. The overarching theme of that whole scripture is to do with our character. James is not just going on a rant, and then you did this and then you did this wrong. He wants the people he's writing to for their character, who they are, to become more like Christ. I can't say I'm being transformed or being like Christ if I'm mouthing off about Neve behind her back. Can I? Is that godly? Is that a good characteristic? Is that going to draw people to Christ? Whether or not what I'm saying is true or not, that's not what we want to cultivate here. That is not what God or Jesus wants. That's not someone I would respect and follow. That's not someone who I want to be like. And that's nothing like our Saviour who had the absolute right to mouth off about us, but never did. He just met us with love. So I'm going to talk to you about someone now, right? Um, Someone called Brother Lawrence. Has anybody ever heard about him? Brother Lawrence was a lay monk from the 17th century. And cue, everybody goes to sleep. No, but he was really, really interesting, right? And he wrote a book, more like... People took conversations they had with him and wrote a book when he passed because they were so absolutely blown away by this man and his wisdom and how different he was at the time. So I've come from a Catholic tradition. That's how I grew up. I still refer to myself as culturally Catholic because so much of how I see things and experienced and traditions are Catholic, right? So you know a bit about like the holy place, the unholy place, the, the, you know, the priest, how, you know, think back in 1950s Ireland, maybe not now. 
But back in the 17th century, it was very different. Religion was like law, and it was very strict. And people just did it. And a lot of people who were priests or monks didn't even believe in God, but it was what they did. It was status and everything. But this monk was different. He was so different that people traveled, not just like uh, poor people, not just educated. They heard about his wisdom. And I wanted to find out, he, in his, I wanted to find out like, what, it, what made him wise. Because I want to know what, like, if you meet someone, you know, like, what is it about them that I admire? Like, what has happened in their life? Like, I've met a lot of people who love God. But there's some people who you just meet and they stop you in your tracks. I was talking to Bridget, and you know, we were talking about the teachers in IBI, and there's two of them, the singles, and there's just something about them. You meet them, and you're like, wow, they are, they know God. They love God, and they love people. I want to be around them more. But Brother Lawrence is someone like this. But his life, you know, I thought, oh, he must have just known God, but his life is very different, right? So we're going to read a little bit about his life. Um, it's going to go somewhere. Don't worry, okay? Trust me. So he was born, like, in France in the 17th century, and he was born to peasant parents. Peasants didn't become priests or monks or anything, okay? It just wasn't the way it went. It was a different world. It, it, we, I don't know. How, let's find the journey of how he got to where he was. So he didn't have any education because life was literally, I need to keep him one meal a day. My kids would have an absolute conniption if I told them. Like, they have no concept of starvation. Everything is one big long snack. If you see my bag, it's just full of food. But they were so, we don't understand the depths of the poverty they lived in. And so for him to, <coughs> excuse me, for him to, uh, to have food on the table, when he got to 16, he joined the army, okay? And this is during the time of the, um, the 30-year war in Central Europe. And we, I am so grateful that, I've, that I live in Ireland. It's not perfect, right? It's very broken and corrupt, as all countries are, because we all need God, right? But we don't know what it's like to live in a war-torn country. We don't know, we don't know what war is like. The majority of us have never experienced that, and we're real privileged. So Brother Lawrence grew up during the 30-year war, which absolutely decimated Central Europe. In his village, there was like a population of... Uh, 2,606, so like a, a small like village. But by the end of an eight-year section of that, there was only 56 people left in the village. Everybody else had been slaughtered. And he lived in that. He grew up in that. And for him to have food at 16 years of age, he had to join the army. Now, he had this, he was in the middle of a, um, of a battlefield. Now, we don't know what it's like. War is really brutal, especially like now then. It's just always been brutal. And he's in the middle of this battlefield, and he'd been brought up knowing God. But I assume like most 16-year-olds, then you get a bit like, I can handle this myself. That's just what my mom and dad told me. I'm not really helping it. And he's there surrounded by destruction, and um, God gives him a vision. There's a single tree in the middle of the battlefield, decimation everywhere. And God uh, speaks to him, and it's a tree with no leaves on it. And God says, in a couple of months, that tree will bloom into something amazing because of who I am and what I've created. And he spoke to Brother Lawrence and said, 
that is what I can do for the human heart if people will just turn to me and listen to me. And that transformed his life. He, he went on and had a lot more things. He was taken hostage. He was made lame. He got gout. Um, he did a lot, experienced a lot of death and destruction. But that vision stayed with him. And 10 years later, everything wasn't perfect. But he felt God calling him. He'd seen so much. He was so traumatized that he actually said, he didn't go, I want to serve God amazingly. He actually said, I want to be a hermit. I'm going to become a monk. I can't deal with all this. How many people, how many of us can actually relate to that? How much of life have we experienced that we've had too much? That you just want to close the door. Me and God are good. Me and God are great. But I just need to get away from people. Anybody else? A couple of people are like, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, preach, yeah. Um, and so that's what he went. He joined the monastery as a lay person. Now, the difference was you were the bottom of the tier if you joined as a lay. So we didn't join and become like this amazing, you know, um, you know, you ever see them in Robin Hood, like that kind of age, like with the, uh, a lot of honor and everybody revered. He joined the bottom of the tier. Basically, he joined to work in the kitchen. But that sounded a lot better than what he had come from. But in that place, when he tried to lock himself away, God met him, and he brought that vision back to him. And he met him, and as he he speaks about how he learned to have this spiritual discipline, and everyone goes silent. No one wants to hear about discipline now. You know, like, it's not the jazzy. I'd much rather hear how to do a 10-point sermon and put your money in the basket type thing. But he learned something called spiritual discipline about speaking to God throughout the day. And he started uh, in the garden and then in the kitchen chopping carrots and doing all the food. Not even, I can, I'm pretty sure 17th century food was not Michelin star. So you're talking about mucky, you're talking about slaughtering animals, you're talking about all doing the real, not nice stuff. And God met him there in the daily conversations. Him and God start talking in his everyday life. Not in the prayer meetings, not in the church services, not in the quiet scripture readings, but in the kitchen as he's shaving carrots, as he is chopping food, as he is putting herbs and things, as he's boiling pots, as he's scrubbing pots as he's doing the manual day-to-day labor, the boring stuff, the stuff we pray that God takes away. Lord, help me win the lotto so I can get a chef and a cleaner. You know, like, but God met him there and he learned something called practicing the presence of God in our daily lives or in his daily life. And it was in those places where he learned which we have to understand at that time, that was not happening. Prayers were set, times were set, sacred and secular. When you're in the church service, sacred. When you're going about your daily life, that's just something you have to put up with. But God met him and told him, no, I'm with you. I'm with you in your everyday life. I am with you in every single thing you do. Things you don't want to do, the play, I'm with you. And he started the thing of having a conversation with God. And in his book, um, 
you can I'll give you all the details later. He speaks about um creating these triggers. So like he decided he was gonna pray like for something. If you pick something, say um say for us, there's someone I know and they need prayer and I need a trigger to remind me. So every time I have to load the dishwasher, I'm gonna think of this person. Let's just call them Mary, right? Um, I'm going to pray for Mary because I do the dishwasher three times a day. So I'm going to pray for Mary three times a day. And he speaks about doing that in our life and creating that spiritual discipline. And if you do that over years, you cultivate a really profound thing in our life. That it's a discipline that when you're at a stage, which if you have kids, because you can't get to weekday meetings. I can't get to church meetings. But I have learned through doing this that I can, I'm still connected with God, even if I can't get to meetings, even if I can't put worship music on. I can talk to God throughout my day. And he, then I learn to listen. So I'm a talker. I love having the chats. I love talking. Not so good as a listener. But this cultivation of God's presence in our daily lives teaches us because as I talk to God, I get addicted to his presence. Um, you know, like the lynx effect? Remember that? You used to be, shh, and a lad walks by and all the girls are like, Whoa. and there's similar effect, but scent, like, scent is the strongest of our senses. I remember, my mom died when I was seven, right? But there's a perfume that my sister, uh, a makeup my sister brought home. And she said, now she was five and I was seven. And she's like, smell it. And we both went, mom, we remember that about our mom because it triggers memories and on the scripture it talks about God's presence being like a beautiful scent and when I have a daily experience with God when I'm talking to him throughout my day I get addicted like a beautiful scent and I'm like where is he what's he doing what's he saying so I may be talking but he starts talking back to me and I hear his still small voice and it becomes such an addiction in me that I want to hear what he says and I recognize it. The way I recognize my mom's perfume, I mean my mom's makeup from like, let's not say how old I am, 30 plus years ago. Um, I, it's similar to how now I feel about the Lord. And he begins by correcting my character. So when I read James and it's telling me not to bitch, not to backstab, uh, not to bring division in the church, not to make plans about what I'm going to do with my money and where I'm going to go, but to trust God. I start hearing God speak to me in this still, small voice. When I begin to say, oh, I hear God going, not going, don't do that. It's more like, that's not godly. That's not the person you want to be. In a daily basis, while I'm editing an Excel document in work, God's speaking to me. While I'm doing the food shop, while I'm having a team meeting, I can't relate, but maybe you're a gym bunny when you're lifting weights. If I'm eating salad, if I'm making a family day, or if I'm hoovering, if I'm answering the phone and work, if I'm bringing the bins out, over time, I've connected those actions with turning my eyes to the Lord and saying, Lord, speak. And the Lord says, if you call out to me, I will speak to you. It's not hide and seek. He wants to get to know you. He wants to speak to you. It's not this um, mystery tour where you're like, is there anybody out there? Someone please talk to me. God, help me. 
If your heart wants to hear from God, he will move a mountain to get through to you. He will use people. He has used inanimate objects. He has used donkeys. If you want to hear him and you are willing to listen, he will find a way to get through to you. But it's about quieting, like all the songs today, admitting, I need you. I need you. Um, Adam and Eve, like we go back, what's the first sin? There's loads of different theology questions. But basically it came down to wanting to do it ourselves. And in everyday life, we want to handle it ourselves. The thought of stopping and disciplining ourselves to hear his voice and speak to him. But I got this handled. If we humble ourselves and have an ear to hear and a heart that wants to talk to him in everyday life, the truth is, I'm sorry, he doesn't rescue us from everyday life. Do you know those sermons and they're all like, um, uh, what's the word? They're all like, we all have a need to want to be special. God has a plan for you. You can change the world. Like I did youth ministry, right? So I have, I have actually done a lot of those sermons that now I'm a bit like, oh, probably should have avoided that back a bit. We are called to do amazing things, right? And some people are called to be like absolute superstars, right? And God has called. But some of us, I'm speaking to myself, um, God is magnified and glorified in our everyday lives. And I may never stand on a stage and I may never do anything like I may not... Um, change the world and be famous, right? But I resonate with someone like Brother Lawrence because he was kind of relegated to like history. But if you look at the amount of people who have read his book and have been changed and have gone on to then change the world, he is more famous by multiplication than anybody who's on a billboard. He's not jazzy. Hands up who says he wants... I've not, like, no one goes, oh, I want to be like a 17th century monk. Like... You know, but who he was was so much more um, powerful because he relinquished his own identity and, and everything he wanted to just converse with God. People came back. They traveled from across Europe to sit in his kitchen. He got arthritis and was absolutely crippled, so he couldn't even work in the kitchen anymore, right? And he had to make uh, men's sandals. And they traveled. Now, we're not, it wasn't even like, you know, bullet trains or planes or anything. They traveled on horseback for like months to come and sit in his, in his uh, sandal place and just sit with him and ask him his wisdom and describe how you know God and who is this God and can I do this and can I know him and can my life be changed? Can I have a peace that transcends all understanding the way you do? And he's like, yeah, you can. And we can. And you can. And all of this, all of that, God's character is never changing. I flip and I flop. You can come to me and I am the most holiest, praise God, amazing person. And other days, I look like the wild woman of Borneo. I've been screaming at the kids and I'm tired and I may have used colourful language and I've failed. But my God is not like that. He doesn't change. His character is that he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. And he loves you. He loves you. This whole story of salvation 
from creation to the very end is about redeeming mankind to a God who loves them. This whole journey is about God getting hold of your heart. This long-winded explanation of who Brother Lawrence is, who I'm sure you found kind of boring, but anyway, I found interesting, is about God's character using a man of lowly means with no education to transform. His teachings actually transformed like Christianity from his little kitchen. That God wasn't in a building. God is with you. God isn't in a tabernacle. God is with you. And he wants to speak to us. Not... Because the life we're called to, the life that James is talking about, no bitch, no moan, no selfish ambition, no hoarding up your money. Like if you go to James, it's very, it convicts us as Western Christians about what we're doing with our finances and how we view it. We say being wise, we could say we're being selfish when the rest of the world are perishing, but you know, I've got, a, I've got nice little savings. Like that's so overwhelming to address. But God is speaking, saying, Forget all that. I can transform your character. If you hear my voice and you obey me in the small things, then I can bring huge transformation. Love him more, his voice more, than how much that person is annoying you. What's causing the fights and quarrels among us? What's causing us to covet things? Why does James call us like the people adulterous? Because we've gotten so distracted by other things that we've forgotten to listen to the Lord. That love is the end product. Like love. Love for God and love for our brothers and sisters made possible through relationship with Jesus and being empowered by his spirit. So I'm going to pray now. And I encourage you this week. Um, It's like a bit of homework because if you've been a Christian a while or even not a while, you kind of pick these things up, you become like a curator of preaching and you could say, that was great, that was a great word. Like Andy and myself have done this, so I'm slagging ourselves, right? I'm not slagging you. And you're like, well, it's really good. It's really... And you can dissect it. And you go, I like what they said about that. Oh, I like that. I might read that later, right? But the word of God is not for that. Every time the word of God, which is the Bible, is preached, we're called to, do, to have a response. And that's the whole purpose of it. Like, it's not a hobby. Oh, that was nice. It's God's word is living and breathing and has ability to transform our lives. And when you have read the Bible for a good while, you kind of get used to bits and you're like, well, I like that, I like what they said. But what about stopping and saying, Lord, what do you transform me with those words? So the homework I want you to do this week I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Rob to come up and sing one of the songs. And I ask you to just ask the Lord to speak to you. Ask him to go with you this week. To find you in the mundane. To find you 
to be with you when you're paying your bills or when you can't pay your bills or when you're answering the phone and work or if you're hoovering the stairs or just think of the thing that you really hate doing. That God's with you and that you'd connect with him in that rather than asking to be rescued from it. Please let me win the lotto. Um, But God's with us in that. So Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence, Lord. I want to be transformed, Lord. I want to be transformed into who you are, Lord. We want to be a congregation that's marked um, not by, oh, their meetings were amazing and full of the Spirit in those things, but by our character. That we are so in love with you, God, that your presence and your peace resides in us, Lord. And that people want to know you because it's about you, Lord, and your love and bringing as many people to you as possible through Jesus Christ. So God, I pray, Lord God, that this week you would find us in the most mundane pain in the activities, Lord, that you're with us and you're speaking and you're living and you're moving. That Lord, that movie, God is not dead. You are alive. <coughs> you are alive. And we're so blessed to have you, Lord. Thank you for your amazing, engulfing, empowering love and presence that can transform our lives, Lord. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.